people are never going to understand how critical this particular time in history is. We have $7.7 trillion worth of economic events that are going to hit America in the gut. This is An Economy of One with Gary Rathbun, President and CEO of Private Wealth Consultants, the free market voice, free market voice. of the U.S., enhancing and protecting private wealth. Gary Rathbun has over 30 years of experience in making the best choices for you to keep more of what you earn. It's life, liberty, and the pursuit of self-reliance. An Economy of One with Gary Rathbun. This is our country. Greetings and welcome again to An Economy of One. I am your host, Gary Rathbun. Our number here, 844 244 3750 toll free from everywhere. Our website, an economy of one.com, an economy of one.com, as is our Facebook, an economy of one. You can go there, see what our producers put up for us every day, and sign up for our free e newsletter and where we talk about things going on in the uh, economy and the stock market. Um, let's see, oh, I, you know, special guest today. Very excited this. Um, Marcus Lamonis is going to be joining us a little later in the show for a couple of segments. Um, he is the CEO of Camper World, but you may know him as the host and star of the show, The Prophet. The Prophet on CNBC uh, begins his third season on that show uh, this Tuesday, the 12th. And uh, he goes in, helps small businesses uh, turn around. He saves uh, businesses one at a time. And it's a very fascinating show. Very fascinating and very successful. So he's starting his third season on the 12th. Marcus Lamonis going to be joining us a little bit later uh, in the show for a couple of segments. I wanted to start off today since... uh, some very important things have happened this week. And I, I wanted to start with um, the fact that in a couple of weeks, our Congress is going to be voting on extending or renewing, whatever phrase you want to use, the Patriot Act. Now, they're calling it the U.S. Freedom Act, which is essentially, essentially a, a, an extension of the Patriot Act, and they're claiming they they put some reforms in there, but they're they're really just kind of smoke and mirrors. But it's uh, it's interesting because this has been in effect about eleven years now. Uh, I'm sorry, been in effect fourteen years since nine eleven under George Bush. Um, this was a a piece of legislation that was uh, put in place very very quickly. And people were uh, reacting to or uh, still fearing uh, for our country in the wake of 9-11. I just learned today that the Patriot Act, way back in 2001, was already written. Congress already wanted to put these things into place. They were just waiting for the right event. And 9-11 provided them that event. So the Patriot Act, while we can say it was kind of rushed into law, really wasn't. They had that on the shelf waiting to implement it. Now it's clear 
over the last 14 years, the sacrificing the liberty we have uh, in the Patriot Act has done little or nothing to make us more secure. Uh, we still have terrorist acts. Now, they claim they claim that the Patriot Act has prevented 54 terrorist attacks. The NSA has claimed that. However, the NSA can't back it up. And uh, according to uh, some commentary by Ron Paul on the Ron Paul Institute uh, website, um, that information has been widely discredited. The, The Patriot Act has done virtually nothing to prevent any attacks at all. Now, the reason I bring this up is a couple fold. One, this has a lot to do with the Fourth Amendment. The, the Patriot Act uh, gathers what they call metadata on our phones. Uh, metadata is date and time, phone number to, phone number from, and length of call. It does not record, so they tell us, does not record the information in the call itself. Well, one of the things that it's important for us as Americans to do, and that's know the Constitution. The Constitution is our template. It is our rules of government and citizenship. And the Fourth Amendment to the Constitution states, and I quote, the right of the people to be secure in their persons houses, papers, and effects against unreasonable searches and seizures shall not be violated. And no warrant shall issue, but upon probable cause supported by oath or affirmation and particularly describing the place to be searched and the person or things to be seized. So the Patriot Act clearly violates the Fourth Amendment. Now, what's important is this week... This last Thursday, a federal appeals court ruled that the NSA phone program is not even authorized by the Patriot Act. So many of these actions by the NSA, by government in general, always refers back to the Patriot Act. And they have collected millions of phone records on you and me, and it's not authorized. Now, both the Bush and the Obama administration have long maintained that it is, and it's not. So the judges not only ruled against the phone program, but they sharply criticized many of the legal theories which the U.S. government has built out its surveillance capabilities since 9-11. So... This is very important because this ruling, now the judges, oddly enough, didn't prohibit, they didn't say, they had a 97-page review. That's, that's almost unprecedented. But they didn't say the government needs to stop right now. They know that Section 215 of the Patriot Act is due to expire in a few weeks, June 1. And lawmakers are, are arguing back and forth about how to renew it, Uh, whether to modify it or let it lapse. And hopefully, they're going to let it lapse. Now, oddly enough, 
This lawsuit was brought about by the American Civil Liberties Union. And they sued. Lower court said it was constitutional. They appealed, went to a higher court. Federal appeals court says it's not. So uh, we'll see what happens in Congress. But if I was you, between now and then, I would contact my congressperson, I'd contact my senators, and I would tell them, I would impress upon them not to renew Section 215 of the Patriot Act. This is uh, an opportunity we have here in the next few weeks to uh, save, get back a little piece of our liberty. Don't let it slip by. Coming up, we got Marcus Lamonas from The Prophet going to be joining us and talking about his show and his philosophy of business. It's an economy of one with Gary Rathbun. Now, back to An Economy of One with Gary Rathbun. Right now, we're talking with Marcus Lamonis, the chairman and CEO of Camping World, the nation's largest RV and outdoor retailer. He's also the host of CNBC reality series, The Profit, returning for his third season. Marcus, this is a, a real honor for me. Congratulations on the success of the show, and welcome to An Economy of One. I appreciate it, guys, and, and uh, it has been fun, but it's not as fun as the RV business, but it is fun. <laughs> well, you know, I, I watch the show quite often, and one of the negatives i got to tell you on the show is once I start watching an episode, I have to watch the whole episode. I can't walk away. Uh, i got to sit there and, and watch how it ends. It's a very interesting show. And, you know, the, the thing about it is is that we really work hard to make sure that it's, it's, it keeps you up keeps you in your seat not from a television standpoint but we really want to have people learn mm-hmm. um and and while there's fighting and while there's disagreements that's real life but we want to have people learn throughout the hour and that's probably what one of the things that intrigues you is you feel like you're taking away some nuggets of information well there's no question i have uh, i'm a business owner myself you know a show like yours i'm more interested in your thoughts and your insights uh more so than you know, the product or, or the family behind it or anything like that. It's it's whenever I can tap into a successful person's wisdom, I'm all ears at that point. That's great. You must get thousand requests a day for your help. Uh, how do you decide which companies to work with and who you're going to write a check to and how you're going to help them? You know, it's probably one of the most daunting responsibilities that I have. Uh, you get, we get thousands of applications um, in, in a very short period of time. And, and I'd be lying to you if I told you that it's not a little bit heart-wrenching and gut-wrenching because you don't really know if you're picking the right people to spend time with. And really everybody that, that raises their hand is deserving because mm. I'm, I'm just one guy and everybody deserves a chance in life. And the problem is is that there's only so much time uh, in, in my life. And right. so... I always wonder after I've selected the ones, have, did I pick the right ones, did I pick the wrong ones, and did I leave one person behind that needs it more than anybody else? And it, I spend probably more time thinking about that than I should, but it's a, it's a long process. And ultimately, I pick all the businesses. I have some help from a team of mine that kind of 
you know, make sure that, that we're, you know, making sure their backgrounds are clear and they're not, you know, killers uh, and, and drug dealers. But uh, <laughs> it's, it's a tough process. You know, I was going to ask what kind of research you do on these companies before you go I don't in. Do, I don't do any financial research. Really? I do background checks just much like you would do if you were hiring somebody. You know, do they have a criminal background? Do they pay their taxes? I want to make sure that I'm dealing with people that, that are at least a decent uh, human beings. Right. But one of the things that I love about uh, what we do is I, do know, I know nothing about the company other than what they sell before I get there. I'm really? self-disciplined that way because... When I go into these businesses, I want you, the viewer, to learn about the company and learn about good things and bad things at the same time that I do. I'm not an actor, and so I can't fake like I just learned something. Right. So that's a bit of a challenge because I, I go in and sometimes I get duped. I get hustled. Yeah. Um, and you watch me get hustled, and it's it's uh, you have to have a, a really thick skin to do a show where people can watch you get hustled. You know, I grew up with a father who was an entrepreneur, and I, I watched him do half a million dollar deals. Now you got to understand this is back in the sixties and the seventies. And I watched him do it on a handshake. And uh, I was old enough to ask him about that. And he used to say, you know, signature is only as good as a man that signs it. And looking at, at your show, you do everything on a handshake. Your handshake is your bond. And how do you deal with people that, you know, their handshake isn't their bond? I lose money. That's what happens. And, 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 you know, I, I, I liken it to this. You know, I go into these businesses and I shake someone's hand and most people tell me how stupid I am. But the reality of it is, is that if you're going to go watch a movie, you usually watch the trailer before you go. Mm-hmm. And if you, if, if you can do a deal on the handshake and the trailer works out, the movie's going to work out. If you start to have a bumpy ride initially, it's not going to work out. And quite frankly, you know, we all know that the, 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 the contract is only as good as the paper it's printed on. Right. And so if you can't have honorable people, they're going to figure out how to screw you, whether it's on paper or not. Yeah. It just ultimately doesn't matter. And so um, I just I, I believe that our young kids today have to realize that when you tell somebody you're going to do something, it has to matter. Um, and it has, to, it has to really matter. And then over the course of uh, 24 episodes, I've lost about a million and a half dollars by, wow. by getting burned. Wow. And you can do all the right things, cross all the T's, have all the signatures, have a deal properly papered, and still lose a million and a half dollars, too. You can. And, and, and uh, I think what we really want people to know, you know, young kids five years ago used to tell you they wanted to be in the NBA and they wanted to be millionaire rappers or movie actors. Mm-hmm. And now I'm finding that kids are saying, yeah, I want to still do that, but I also am okay adding being a business owner to that list. I think today, right now in this country, being a business owner is kind of cool and hip. Um, I'm not cool and hip, but being a business <laughs> owner is somewhat cool and hip, and I'm trying to get people to realize that it, it could be fun and it could be hip. I was thinking about that because you know the trends as well as I do. More small businesses are closing each year than are starting, and that's a recent trend, and I think the future of this country depends on the, the small business owner and risk takers and the creators and, and the producers. I know you don't do this show for ego and your time is is very, very valuable. What's your, your primary motivation for doing this? Well, I mean, I definitely do it to make good investments and, and uh, make a return on my investment. But, sure. you know, I, I've been very blessed in my life to, to have a primary business called Camping World where I make a lot of money and, and um, I'm taking take care of my family. I really feel like, you know, I'm adopted from an orphanage in Beirut, Lebanon. I'm an only child, had a really rough childhood, and I felt like, 
this was a great chance for me to to spread a message. And, you know, too often there are too many messages in, in our country about the wrong things. And I wanted to really put my heart and soul into something that I think could make a difference. It takes me to make 10 episodes, and I'll make 22 this year. Wow. It takes me to make 10 episodes five months. Oh, my goodness. Five long months. And so I pretty <clears throat> much dedicate, I've dedicated most of my life to this. Um, and a lot of travel, a lot of time away from home and the family. And um, I really just truly believe in it. And I realize that I'm making a difference in people's lives. And, you know, there's a lot of people who do a lot of things and I don't golf. I don't, um, you know, I don't water ski or have any other hobbies. This, this is what I do. And this is my passion. And I love it. Now, many of the businesses you work with are family-owned businesses, and we both know that intergenerational companies have a high failure rate going from one generation to the next. How do you deal with all of these family dynamics you encounter? I think I, the, the number one thing you have to do is have respect for people, right, and understand that their their issues are bigger than just business. Um, and Oftentimes, I feel like I'm a combination of Oprah and Judge Judy, <laughs> where I have to be heart heartwarming and, and a good listener in one sense, and I have to drop the gavel and the hammer uh, on another time. And it's a very fine line because you're dealing with pe- real people with real situations, real lives, real emotions. Um, that this is not a television show where these people are on and they're 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 actors and they're reality show professionals like some of the other garbage on television. These are real people in real cities with real employees, with real businesses. Um, and so you have to really be respectful of, of that and never cross the line and remember, you know, what your role is in the process. Yeah. But there are moments where you have to tell people that they shouldn't be working together or, or they should be working together. And the episode that will air May 12th uh, is, is an episode about two brothers who broke up uh, who, who haven't talked in three years and they live in the same house. And I, I literally spend half the episode trying to get them just to be in the same room together. And, um, you know, business isn't just about numbers. I think mm-hmm. you know that. You're, you're a business owner yourself. It isn't just about numbers. When we make it just about numbers, it's not fun. And so I want to make sure that we, we, we remind people that it's about people, not, a, not just about numbers. I'm Gary Rathbun. We'll be back with more from Marcus Lemonis on An Economy of One. Gary Rathbun, An Economy of One. Now, back to An Economy of One with Gary Rathbun. I'm talking to Marcus Lemonis, host of CNBC's primetime reality series, The Profit. It returns for his third season. You know, owning a business, actually I own several businesses myself. I know the only thing worse than firing somebody is not firing somebody. How do you deal with the pushback you get from business owners? I mean, when you got to go in and make those hard decisions and tell somebody that they're not right, how do you handle that all day long? I think you have to accept it, uh, and I think you have to understand that, that you're going into people's businesses who, who put their blood, sweat, and tears in it and their life savings into it. Um, and you have to really keep in mind that they have a pride of authorship. And in order to, to really make a difference with people, you have to connect with them. And so going in and telling somebody how stupid they are 
uh, isn't a good way to start a conversation. <laughs> you have to go in and you have to empathize and sympathize and really understand why they did it. What was their motivation? Um, and, um, and really kind of get to the heart and soul of it. And I don't think we do that enough. Um, and it's not only good in relationships, but it's good in business. And so I try to just be really respectful of them, but to a point, at some point, you know, you got to say, okay, I, we're friends. I heard your story. Let's, you got to make these changes or I can't be here because I can't, I can't waste my time forever. Do you end up going out, starting the process and walking away from a lot of those deals? I mean, I'm sure that you're aware in the first couple hours, whether this is going to be a good fit for you or not. Um, no, is there a lot of things no, we I, don't see no, there. I've, I've never, I've never walked away uh, from a business uh, once I show up and I'll tell you why I made a commitment in you know, thousands and thousands of applications. Mm-hmm. I chose them for a reason and they chose me for a reason. And so it's not like speed dating where you don't like the first thing somebody says and you leave. I made a commitment to be there and to help them. And yeah, there are moments in the first day or two where I think to myself, I, I'm nuts. But when I let the dust settle and I take a step back and I let, let them get more comfortable with me, you learn more. Mm-hmm. And too often, we're all too judgmental to make decisions on people to brush them to the side so quickly. That I, that's another reason why I stay. People deserve a chance. Doesn't mean in the end it'll work out, but we can't just be so quick. Uh, to get divorced, to break up the partnership, to do whatever it is that people do, we have to really be committed to it. And, and it's hard. It's a very hard and frustrating process. But it's another kind of example of what I am trying to have young people see is you don't just not like what happened and take your ball and go home. It's right, not a good right. thing to do. Okay. In looking at all these businesses, working with them, and your own personal experience, What's the most common problem you see? Why do most businesses fail or why do they get in trouble? What, what, what digs the hole the most? You know, they, they typically don't have a plan. and They don't know what they're going to do tomorrow. Uh, they don't have enough of an appreciation for the people that work for them. And they don't open the business with enough working capital, with enough money. And, you know, I don't mean money that you borrowed from your mom. Mm-hmm. I mean, literally, your your hard blood, sweat, and tears, and so they don't have those kind of three basic things, and it's almost a recipe for failure before you even start. Um, you know, you start a business, and yet people tell you they're entrepreneurs, but they don't really possess those other those other things that I think make it make it work, which is a plan of some cash and surrounding yourself with good people. You got to do it, and that's I think that's the same in life, right? You have to surround mm-hmm. yourself. Our mothers used to tell us. Uh, you know, you are who you associate with. Well, in business, why wouldn't you want to associate with the best people you could find and make your business better? Who cares if you don't feel like you're the smartest guy in the room? Right. It's not a contest. It's about making the business work. Yeah. You've built your whole series of companies and every show you bring up your three P's in uh, business yeah. and that's people process and product. Touch on that for a minute for me, would you? Well, I, I, the reason that I use a very simple formula is really more for my benefit than it is anybody else's. I feel like I can go into any business, a fish market, a clothing store, a marshmallow store, a candy business, a car dealership, manufacturing company. And really, I look at it very simply. The product that you make has to be relevant. If you're making A-track cassette tapes, it's probably not a good idea. <laughs> um, if you have a good product, the way you make it and the way you distribute it to the customers and the way you merchandise it has to be has to make sense and it has to be profitable. 
But I think what I always fall back on more than anything is the last P, which is people. And you can take an average to, to terrible product and an average to terrible process. But if you have amazing people, you can reinvent the other two. If you have a great product and a great process and you have terrible people, you're destined to fail. Mm -hmm. Because people buy products and services from other people, not from robots, not from machines. They buy it from people. Even when they buy it online, they're buying it from some person who created the product or the process. And if you don't have core values at the people side, the business is going to fail. And so I look at any business the same way. And I think I don't think there's any sort of science to it. Um, I want you know young people, old people to just look at it the same way. You know, I, I've had a saying in some of my companies that every job is everybody's job. Um, I, I've I've watched some of your episodes and. There's really nothing you won't do to help a business and, and set an example, is there? I mean, I've seen you wiping down toilets. I mean, that's setting an example for the business owner, I think. You know, I do it. I don't. I, I always have to reflect on it after because when I'm in the moment, I don't really think about it. I think, like, <laughs> we have to get something done, and you got to do it. And so I'm, if I, you're not going to do it, I have to do it. Somebody's got to do it. Right. I think for me it's just about energy and enthusiasm for what you're doing. And if you're trying to sell something, the people that you're doing business with or trying to do business with have to see that enthusiasm. They have to be wowed by the fact that you're willing to do anything for just a chance to earn something. Right. Um, and too often, I think we have people that feel like they're entitled to things uh, or they don't have to put in the hard work. And, you know, you and I just weren't raised that way. We were raised with, a, you know, a kind of an iron fist and yeah. uh, get to work and get up early and go to bed late and respect your elders and respect your supervisors. And if you don't, you know, you're, you're going to be in your bedroom before dessert time, before dinner time. And I mean, I was raised in a very strict environment and, and you know, my first job, I was mopping, mopping a, a driveway. I mean, I don't know how you mop asphalt, but my, I told my father, I, how do you mop asphalt? He said, I don't know, by the end of the summer, you're going to figure it out. Um, and so I also think that it sends a message to the employee. Yes. I'm not there to save the business owner. I'm there to save the business. Mm. And so I think the employees have to feel like they're going to get down with them, get down into the trenches, and that's how you earn their respect. Yeah, I know you own many companies uh, around the country. Uh, I gotta, how do you handle managing and just keeping track of everything? You've, you must have an incredible team behind you or, or never sleep. I mean, uh, how do you keep track uh, of everything? A little bit of both. A little <laughs> bit of both. I don't sleep a lot. Uh, I do have intimate involvement in all the businesses that I'm on, but I also have an amazing team um, of people. And that's been my, that's been my secret weapon is that I surround myself with people that are smarter than I am, that are willing to push back on me, that are more creative than I am, that bring something to the table um, and are, are wanting to be part of something bigger. And that's been the secret formula. Um, and uh, I get a lot of applications daily for people that want to work and, it shocks me how many Harvard Wharton MBA graduates are willing to leave a hundred thousand dollar job to come work for thirty thousand to just kind of be part of our organization. Well, that, and, uh, that, that says a lot about you exciting. and your integrity yeah. and, and uh, American general. I think that's what built this country is that kind of an attitude. So yeah, and we need to get back to that. I think absolutely. we lost our way in the, the in the nineties and the early two thousands with Miami Vice and fast cars and big right. planes and multiple houses. It's just a bunch of nonsense. The American dream is not built on material things. It's built on paying your bills on time 
being 37 payments away from owning your home, <laughs> having a car and a picket fence, being able to educate your children, being able to feed your family, having good neighbors, being a good member of the community. I mean, let's get back to some simple basics here. Right, right, our founding principles. Exactly. I'm, I'm talking with Marcus Limonis. He's the host of CNBC's primetime <laughs> reality series, The Prophet. Marcus, I really appreciate your time. I know how valuable it is. And uh, looking forward to to the third season. I can't wait to uh, punch the DVR and start watching the episodes this year. Well, great. Thanks so much, and have a great day. Thank you. You be well. Coming up next, I'm going to tell you the latest way to become a trillionaire. You can be the first. Also, if you read to your kids, you are a bad parent. We'll talk about that next. Gary Raspin, an economy of one. Now, back to An Economy of One with Gary Rathbun. We are back. Well, we have, we've got it, official information now. You, too, can be a trillionaire. A trillionaire. Not just a billionaire or a hundred billionaire like, you know, um, Warren Buffett or Bill Gates or any of those small fries. You can be a trillionaire. You ready? It's insightful stuff. All you had to do is figure out how to start a mining company that mines asteroids. That's right. There is a company out there. Uh, now it's a. Uh, they, it's interesting. This is a uh, an article that uh, uh, I picked up off of Space dot com, and they're calling it a nascent asteroid mining industry. Nascent. I love that word because that was used by the Federal Reserve uh, in talking about the economy uh, growing. They, they called it a nascent growth, nascent sprouts. Remember the green sprout thing? Anyway, Planetary Resources uh, is a company that is currently launching a probe uh, to start gathering information on how to deploy an asteroid mining company. They want to eventually mine asteroids in deep space. Okay, now, this is a variation on a, on a million old jokes about becoming a, a millionaire. You know, I mean, how do you become a millionaire in the market, invest $10 million, um, that kind of stuff. Uh, a trillionaire, can you imagine what it would cost to set up a mining operation on an asteroid? Can you imagine what it costs to drill a dry hole on an asteroid? <laughs> I mean, this is absolutely incredible. Now, the, the, the thought is that there's gold and then there are asteroids. I mean, they, they want to um, mine those thinking that there's a lot of valuable resources there and it would be worthwhile. Well, let me help you. Gold would have to be, one, you'd have to know it was there and get it. And gold would have to be, I don't know, a million dollars an ounce or something to to make it uh, worthwhile. But one of the things that uh, they say may be the key to the entire enterprise. Ready? Water. Now, can you imagine setting up a mining operation on a fast-moving, deep-space asteroid 
to get water. Now, their thought process is, it's just not water. I mean, I make it sound silly, but um, what they're thinking is that water is made out of hydrogen and oxygen, H2O, um, and they could set up essentially an intrastellar uh, fueling station. So they could take the water, turn it into hydrogen or separate the hydrogen from it, and then deep space vehicles, if you will, for lack of a better term, can pull up and fill up on hydrogen so they can keep going. But uh, that's how you can become a trillionaire, according to uh, these people putting this stuff together. Now, the first probe, <laughs> first pro- I, I, I didn't find out what it costs, but the first probe they put up there was uh, the size of a loaf of bread. So... Uh, they're they're not going to mine too big of a payload if they're bringing it back on a uh, uh, a probe the size of a loaf of bread. But anyway, I thought you'd be interested. Something to think about. You win that lottery, you can uh, set up a mining operation on an asteroid. Finally, I wanted to talk to you. It's got to be the, the one of the dumbest things I've I've ever read. There's a, a professor now. Fortunately. Fortunately, the professor works at a university in England. Um, So it makes me feel a little better. At least it wasn't an American professor in one of our universities, at least not yet. But according to this professor, uh, parents who read to their kids should be thinking about how they're unfairly disadvantaging other people's children by doing so. I mean, is is this the, the dumbest thing? I mean, he acknowledges that bedtime story activities do foster and produce better, even desired, family relationships. He wouldn't want to ban them. No, don't want to ban bedtime stories. But the parents who engage in bedtime story activities should definitely at least feel kind of bad about it sometimes. So they, they want you to feel guilty because there are some kids out there that you know what, their parents don't read to them at bedtime. And he he says, quote, I don't think parents reading their children bedtime stories should constantly have in their minds the way that they are unfairly disadvantaging other people's children, but I think they should have that thought occasionally. <laughs> Gosh, I mean, do, do you feel guilty about hungry kids if you feed your kids food? I mean, it's the same thing. Now, he takes it the next step. He also added that some of the things parents do to give their kids the best education possible, like sending them to an elite private school, cannot be justified. He wants to uh, essentially ban private schools. I mean, it's I'm almost speechless over this. This is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. What they want you to do is make sure that your kid has no more education, no more better family adjustment, no more social skills than the worst kid out there so that that kid doesn't feel bad about himself. I mean, he even flirted with the idea of simply abolishing the family as a way of, quote, 
solving the social justice problem. Because there would be a more level playing field if we did. But this is where the the genius comes in. He ultimately concluded that it is in the child's interest to be parented. (laughs) Really? Uh, Parenting a child makes for what we call a distinctive and special contribution to the flourishing and well-being of adults. Well, thank you very much, Professor. I mean, the, the sad thing is, now I make light of this because it's so dumb, but the sad thing is somebody over here is going to pick up on that. Somebody is going to introduce something like that in Congress. It won't pass, but it's likely to be included in something, included in a I don't know, a, a, a core education bill, a nutrition bill. Who knows what they'll, they'll slide this in. Now, I'm all for self-reliance, as you know. I'm all for um, pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps and being responsible for your family and your kids' education and all of that. But I believe that focusing on improving things for the less fortunate would be a better way to advance society than purposely making things worse for those who have more. I mean, why should you deprive your child of something you're able to provide just because maybe, maybe some kid out there doesn't have the same advantage? Some parent doesn't provide the same thing. Why should we do that? I mean, this is the type of social engineering that has gotten us to the point where we are, where, you know, we've got kids that that can't make moral distinctions anymore. Um, We've got kids that refuse to be um, risk takers and entrepreneurs and create a business after they get out of, of school or college. Uh, this is what has created this this victimhood, this this mentality of the government uh, needs to provide everything for me. I have a sense of entitlement um, to destroy the family unit. Uh, it, it just lays the groundwork for more social engineering. It lays the groundwork for the government taking over the raising of children. And they're trying to do that now. Now, I'm not a parent. I understand that. So I don't understand really the parent-child bond from that standpoint. But I'm bright enough to look around and see this is one really stupid idea. I want you to have a great day. I want you to be an individual, be self-reliant, be an economy one. I'm Gary Rathbun. We'll see you next time. This is our country. The views expressed on this program do not necessarily reflect the views of this station. Listeners should consult their own financial advisors or conduct their own due diligence before making any financial decisions. Private Wealth Consultants is an SEC-registered investment advisor.